0: I can't wait to hear from you.
1: If the church is well run, you allow people to enter into worship. You allow people to enter into ministry. You you don't want to make it hard for people to find out how to get involved. I don't love administration. It's not what gets me up in the morning. But I have seen that if I don't do it, it means I don't have the wherewithal to do the cure of souls kind of work that I love so much.
0: The Living Church, serving the Episcopal Church and Anglican Communion since 1878. Welcome to The Living Church Podcast. What is it, like four weeks until the start of Advent? Okay, I'm not the kind of person to turn a holiday or a holy season into a time of stress, believe me, but for everyone pastoring a church, or even on the staff of a church, or even a seriously involved person at a church— You know that there are times when things ramp up, liturgically speaking, and emotionally speaking, et cetera, when the calendar gets busier, and those can be times of great joy. Some of the most fun planning work in a church's year can take place in times like that. It can also be a time, though, when the seams show stress, disorganization, those structural pieces that you could have gotten into place six months ago that would have made this easier, but you just never got around to it. Frankly, these key realizations can happen any old time of year. Well, if this sounds familiar at all to you, you may really enjoy our conversation today about administrative skill and executive functioning and how they help churches and pastors stay sane and preach the gospel. I'm talking today with the Reverend Aaron Zimmerman. Aaron is rector at St. Albans Episcopal Church in Waco, Texas. He is past president of the board of directors of Mockingbird Ministries and is currently on the advisory board for Storymakers NYC a creative studio that designs Christian resources for kids and teens. He's currently the Dean for the Northwest Convocation of the Diocese of Texas and co-hosts the same old song lectionary podcast with the Reverend Jacob Smith. We will take on the whys and wherefores of getting organized, karate chopping emails, setting standing meetings, delegating tasks, taking time off. But look, we're not here to heap onto your to-do list shame pile. No, 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 no. Erin's got tips too to help you get started, including a word or two for staying gracious with yourself, even as you improve your administrative skills. Anyone can start improving here. I bet actually you are even effectively multitasking right now. Look at you running, driving that car. Just make sure that you get time to do just one thing at a time too today. Later, you should definitely pick up that Atlantic article and finish it, or that season of Seinfeld, or that game of Candyland with your kids. But for now, along with the run or the commute, we hope you enjoy the conversation. It doesn't matter how long I lived in central time, I still get thrown off by central time. (laughs) It's like something about the gravitational pull of it messes with my brain cells.
1: So, are you not in Dallas, Texas?
0: I am not in Dallas. I'm actually in Atlanta, Georgia. Don't judge me.
1: Don't I'm judge not. me. Well, I'm from North Carolina, so I can't. I'm I live most of my life on the eastern seaboard, so it's all right. And you're yeah. not even in the Acela corridor, so does it count? No, probably not.
0: In the what corridor?
1: Acela, which is, you know, Amtrak's like nice business class train that that runs between DC and New York.
0: Ah no. And I've never been lucky enough to be on a business class train.
1: Nor have I. Are you? I was gonna say,
0: are you a business class train kind of guy?
1: We all have our hopes, don't we?
0: Well, when this episode airs, we will be around the feast of Saint Luke. And as we all know, Saint Luke is well known for rendering his orderly account. And so I would like to render an orderly account today of keeping orderly accounts at a church. And about administrative skills and applying them in the priesthood. So first, Aaron, can you tell me a little bit about your journey into the priesthood?
1: Yeah, I grew up in the Episcopal Church, which seems to be a rarer and rarer thing these days. Hmm. But when, to my family, we were the kinds of people that clergy maybe now find annoying, which is ironic to me. We were very sporadic in our attendance. And we always came in during the second reading, maybe sometimes the gospel. Like, I didn't know there were opening hymns until I got ordained. So that was us. But I will say it formed me in really beautiful ways and ways that I wasn't fully aware of at the time. But there were two things that happened when I got into high school. We got a youth minister at St. Paul's Episcopal Church in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Smitty, if you're out there. Thank you. Bless you. And I also was in, my sister got a boyfriend who invited us to join him to Young Life. And so it was in those two contexts that I first heard about Jesus in a way that was really compelling. And it wasn't just whatever the priest was doing there up front one Sunday. But after that that experience, when Jesus really became real to me, I was sitting in church, listening to what the priest was doing up there one Sunday. And for the first time in my life, I was listening to those old words of right to prayer a you in your mercy sent jesus christ and it hit me with fresh force that was the first time the possibility entered my brain of the priesthood and then there was a 10-year mm. process of figuring that out mm. but i'm still figuring it out but i am ordained so there you go
0: very good we're glad the <laughs> rector of saint albans is ordained just so everyone yes, knows
1: just let there be no doubt
0: Now tell me a little bit about St. Albans, speaking of her. What what's her personality? How is she situated?
1: So she's a relatively young church with an old soul, meaning she was planted like many churches around the country, but especially in Texas, there was a huge boom of church planting after World War II, as these families returned, soldiers and nurses and folks returned from war and economic growth and the GI Bill and all those sorts of things. And so there was a a growing economy here, there were jobs, people came to go to Baylor, all those sorts of things happening, and St. Albans was started in what was then the outskirts of town, and they had a pastor who was a former missionary in China, an Episcopal priest who was married to a woman who was the sort of a fifth-generation Episcopalian. She was from the Ting family from New York, and I think that whatever that missionary, entrepreneurial, wider Anglican communion view informed the life of the church. And so it's always had an outward focus, but it's always had a focus as well on doing the things inside the building very well, whether that was music or worship or liturgical things. And so they were, unlike many churches that really got going in the 1950s, they did not build a structure that looked like 1950s America. They built a church that was in sort of this Gothic English style with the emphasis Serving in the community and being involved in local events and civic affairs and all that sort of stuff. But at the same time, it is still deeply rooted in prayer book worship and the best of the Anglican musical and choral tradition. So we're a 1979 prayer book parish. We don't get too creative. We keep it sort of by the book. And that seems to serve a lot of people really well. Theologically and politically, we're very diverse. Age-wise, we're very diverse. We're growing in many ways, but not just in one way. We definitely have a lot of the highly coveted young families, but there's also plenty of empty nesters and retired folks. And we have the doctors and lawyers, but also the people who have the quote-unquote blue-collar jobs and students and all that. So it's definitely not a one-kind-of-person parish. It is focused on Jesus. It's focused on the grace of God. And whatever sorts and conditions of folks are out there, they seem to need to hear about the friend of sinners, Jesus of Nazareth. So that's what we talk about a lot. So we have a lot of fun doing it.
0: I know that there is, for example, there is a big church called Antioch that's just down the street from you guys. That is a, I think they'd consider themselves non-denominational, but sort of a non-denominational that kind of created a, a denomination. So. I know that there are a lot of Episcopal churches situated in towns where there are churches that attract a lot of young people and a lot of young families and a lot of that energy. Do you ever feel the need to compete with that? What's your relationship with sort of larger or evangelical or non denominational churches in Waco?
1: That's a great question. I would say that in some ways, we hold on to the things that in its best sense define the evangelical movement, which is not something that's post-war America. That's something that goes back, I mean, to the Reformation. And you could argue that it goes back to the beginning, evangelical, just meaning gospel centered. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But you know, a, a strong understanding of the authority of scripture, a high Christology, a desire that Jesus be real for people in a meaningful and personal way, all those things are true about St. Albans. And I think when folks from the Baptist world or the non-denominational world or the evangelical world find their way at St. Albans, those things are familiar to them. I dare say the aroma of Christ is in this place. However, there are a lot of things that are very different and those are intentional. So we don't try to out Antioch Antioch. And I have plenty of friends who go there or are on staff there and acquaintances and they're very involved in the community. And we do play well with others, but we don't try to do the contemporary worship thing because... Frankly, the Episcopal Church has a middling to poor track record of doing contemporary worship. It's not our strength. It's like a marathon runner trying to run a hundred yard dash or something like that. We are really good, at least in our context and in this congregation, at worshiping God in the Anglican tradition using the sacred music that is our heritage and using the prayer book. And that seems to be really attractive and a needful thing in this place. And just so listeners can situate
0: you here as well, what is your your ASA, your average Sunday attendance right now?
1: So our average Sunday attendance for the year is 330. The last four Sundays, five Sundays, sort of the post-summer slump, we've had about 400 people per Sunday. And online, there's another 50 to 100 people. So depending on how you want to slice that. In the normal operating months, we're about 350 to 400 people on a Sunday in person. And then online adds another 50 to 100. Okay, But great. I will say we've grown a lot. 10 years ago, we were about 150 people on a Sunday. It's clearly a time of growth and renewal. And mm-hmm. for a mere $500 masterclass, I will tell any clergy person how to replicate exactly what I've done.
0: The Living Church cannot provide scholarships to the masterclass <laughs> of...
1: Father no, Aaron Zimmerman, I will do it for free. Call me up, but not again. I don't. I don't know how much of it is replicable, but it's certainly a fun thing to be a part of.
0: Well, let's see if we can put a little bit of this masterclass material into what we talk about next. I have you on here today to talk about. Well, really, when your friend Jacob Smith said to me, "Oh, you should have you should have Aaron on your podcast," he said that you were great at executive functioning, and I thought. Actually, that sounds like a really good topic for a podcast. So when people hear executive functioning or administrative skill with a for a pastor, they probably think of big parishes first, and then they might feel a sense of caution like, oh, no, no, a pastor is not a CEO. Well, you're not a CEO, Aaron. You are at a medium-sized parish. It's not a huge church, but it's not a tiny church. So we'll say it's a mama bear church in Waco, Texas. <laughs> how is executive functioning something that you started getting good at? And how did you learn that it can be learned rather than just something that comes from a person's personality or professional background?
1: Yeah. It's something that I think, first of all, I would say that Your choice of the word learning is really important. It's not something that I was really taught in seminary. It was not something Mm. I was taught in my undergraduate program as a liberal arts major. It's really not something anyone ever sat down and showed me. This is how you manage your weekly calendar. This is how you manage appointments. I mean, I knew I had to write stuff down, and I, I had a calendar. But it's something I've had to learn over time, and I've done it through talking to people. I've done it through reading books. I've done it through podcasts but it's always a work in progress and that's one thing i wanted to say to your listeners if you are a clergy person that's new to ministry you'll spend the rest of your life learning how to do it better lord willing i'm still very much a student of this i don't have it all figured out but the way i think one of the main ways that i was able to to learn was through trial and error through seeing mm-hmm. it done well in other places seeing it done poorly in other places and thinking when I saw that, oh, you know, maybe there's a better way to do this. But that's I, it, is, it is necessary because if you don't have a good way to manage your time and manage the flow of information through your computer or across your desk, you will quickly drown and be completely overwhelmed and burned out. And it begins to create a haggard priest, a worn-out congregation, confusion, and it just raises the level of anxiety. You know, if you walk into a hospital that's well-run, You can feel it and it makes everybody feel a little bit more at peace in a very stressful time when they walk through those doors. If you walk into the emergency room at three in the morning and there's blood everywhere and there's nurses and doctors running around and it's just, you know, know, people are screaming, like you don't feel at peace about walking in there to deal with whatever you've gotten so i think a well-run organization i don't know if you want to leave that example in the in the podcast i mean i was only laughing i
0: mean a a messy hospital is not a funny thing but i'm laughing because i'm thinking of someone walking into a church and seeing you know it's like there's albs over here and the jazzables (laughs) are over here and the sheet music where is it and there's like you know yeah anyway
1: there's all kinds of things that could be flying around the bishop of Texas, God bless him, has in clergy conference in the past has addressed clergy and just given a gently and with some humor and a light touch has said, "Hey, y'all, make sure you have your albs and cassocks and surplices cleaned occasionally." Uh,
0: I know, right? The,
1: yeah, I mean, you can't just hang it back up in the locker on Sunday afternoon and expect it to be fresh next Sunday morning. So there are, I think, a lot of these things. If one does not do them well. It ends up creating a bunch of these canaries in the coal mine where both staff and lay people, visitors to your congregation, will begin to see things that indicate that this is not a well-run ship. If there's no toilet paper in the bathroom, if the windows are dirty, or if the gospel reading in the bulletin is wrong— And we all make mistakes occasionally. I'm not saying that you need to be perfect, but when things start to slip, it is a distraction. And, you know, we have a lot of visitors that come to St. Albans because Episcopalians are largely a dying breed. They're just, and there are not many in Waco, Texas. So if you're coming to St. Albans, there's a good chance you are not an Episcopalian. So we get folks from all kinds of denominational, non-denominational backgrounds. And recently, there's been folks coming. And one of the things, so what's what do you notice? What's different about St. Albans? I think they're going to say, the creed is so powerful or the music is so beautiful. But they're like, the place is just so clean. Oh. Which, again, says something about what hits people when they walk into a place. If you can remove the little things that distract people, like I went to the bathroom and I wanted to wash my hands. There's no soap. Like that's a little... Micro frustration. If they get a notice that they need to get their child in the nursery and they follow the signs, but it ends up being a sexton's closet and they don't know where they are, another mm, micro mm-hmm. frustration. If they try to then give an online gift, but then there's an error on the website and they can't actually give any money, another micro frustration. Those things add up and suddenly you've got a person saying, Gosh, do did, did they really care about what they're doing here? So it's important yeah. that, it, that it be done well. So Someone's
0: listening right now and they're thinking, yes, please tell me how to do We'd have no toilet paper. Our stained glass is dirty. No one's run the vacuum in six weeks because the volunteers, I don't even know where the volunteer list is. I'm just trying to preach the gospel. Yeah. So if this person right now is listening, what are the big rocks that you would tell them what's the big rock to put in place in terms of executive functioning? And then what's a medium rock? And then what's yeah. a little smaller rock? So take us down through that funnel of, Ooh. of of three things, if you would.
1: Okay. And I'll give you what mine are Mm -hmm. and other priests are different. And so they may organize it and categorize it differently. But I would say if you can simplify as much as possible, that is very helpful. So that's why we're not changing from prayer A to B to C every week. That's why on our website, we try to list as much as possible, things that don't require updating. So there may be one page that requires regularly updating with date or time or location changes, sort of an events page. But we're not going to put something on the main page that says, join us this Sunday for the picnic in the park, because that will be outdated in three days. And then I've got to change it and change it again next week or whatever. So Simplify as much as possible. And I think one of the biggest things in executive functioning to be a successful pastor who is not burned out, it requires delegation. And that is really, really hard because most clergy love what they do, are the most knowledgeable person in their parish about things worshipy and theologically and all those sorts of areas. And often we, I don't know if we can, but we think we can get it done better than anyone else. And so, That can lead to a hoarding of all the tasks and finding the courage to begin to give it away is going to be really important. So I don't know if I've done a good job of big, little and small, but I would say if you can simplify as much as possible if you can have an organizational system and if you can delegate as much as possible, I think you'll be on your way to successful executive functioning. And again, all those things take time to are something you learn over time, and you will probably make lots of mistakes as you go about it.
0: And I think we could even stay with those three and tease them out one by one with this question, how does administrative skill relate to church health? and relate to spiritual health. So basically, how does administrative skill in simplifying, in organizing, and in delegating, how do these relate to the spiritual life of your parish and and bear fruit for people being able to hear the gospel and for you being able to be a healthy person and keep your sanity. And if anything occurs to you about, you know, something that happened to you at a certain point or an example, a story that you have, I'm sure we'd love to hear that.
1: Yeah. I can say that if a church is not run well, and I know so many clergy who already feel beaten up and like, they're maybe not doing a great job. I don't want to add more pressure, more shame to your already full Mm -hmm. shame plate. But so Say this as someone who's, who's to use the old phrase, in the trenches with you and who's doing some things well and not doing some things well, and we're all doing the best we can. But I will say that administrative skill and learning how to do it over time, how does it relate to church health? Well, it means your priest won't be burned out and exhausted all the time, short-tempered, and have no emotional resources for her family, much less for her congregation. So administrative skill is key to the priest being able to to do this for the long haul. The other reason administrative skills are important, you ask, like, how does it bear fruit? It bears fruit all the time. The fact that, you know, if the bulletin is correct, somebody who has never been to a liturgical service in her life, never said the creed before, can join along and not feel like some weirdo who doesn't know the secret spell words that everybody else knows. It bears fruit when I'm going through... A list of parishioners as we prepare for stewardship season and i noticed there's 10 people i haven't seen in a long time and so i put them on my list to call and i call them and i find that they've been going some, through some sort of crisis and then i can have a, a significant pastoral moment with them so those are the kinds of things that happen if if the church is well run you allow people to enter into worship you allow people to enter into ministry you you don't want to make it hard for people to find out how to get involved
0: Figural reading of scripture is an imaginative, devotional, and immersive approach, which understands that the Bible interprets us rather than the other way around. This approach also has deep roots in the Anglican tradition. And on Saturday, October 22nd, the Anglican Communion Alliance in Canada will feature the Reverend Dr. Ephraim Radner in a webinar entitled, The Word of God Endures Forever, Why I Became a Figural Reader of Scripture. The cost is just 15 bucks for more details, including the time in your time zone and to register, go to anglicancommunionalliance.ca and click on the events tab, or you can just visit the link in the show notes today. One of the first things that someone might do if they're wanting to take a survey of their administrative strengths, what things might need to change. Is they can walk through a Sunday through the eyes of someone who's never been to their church before, through the eyes of hospitality, walk through a liturgy, walk through literally walk through the space through the eyes of hospitality. I wonder what you would say are some other things that someone could do who's listening, who's thinking, I'd love to kind of survey my own skills and improve them. How could someone begin? to take this kind of survey of of their administrative capacities
1: yeah i think and by the way that example of walking through a sunday morning like walking around the parish to the campus with the vestry and they could see oh like the fence we put around our air conditioning system is falling apart and rotting and oh this this light bulb is out and this sign points to a place that doesn't exist anymore so you're kind of identifying the pain points. And in your own work life, you probably can figure out where the pain points are. Are there 2,000 unread messages in your inbox? That's probably a pain point. Is your desk piled with paper? If you were to have a pastoral meeting with somebody in your office, is there anywhere for them to sit? Or what part of your week are you dreading? Those pain points are the are the neon signs pointing to where you maybe begin to do your work. And again, you usually don't do it all in one fell swoop. It's gonna be something that you work on over time. But that's, I think, how you begin to identify where you wanna work on things. And the good thing is, you're not the first person to have this problem, either in church or in the secular workplace. And so if it's email, if it's organization, if it's time management, if it's scheduling, whatever it is, there's probably somebody out there who can help you with it. I'm a big fan of Getting Things Done, which is a book, but I don't have time to read books, so I read the audio book. You know? 30 years ago, you didn't have audiobooks, You didn't have productivity podcasts. And some are specifically done for church work and they can be very helpful.
0: I love that phrase, pain points, sort of what feels uncomfortable, what's stressing you out, what you are dreading. Are you dreading opening your email? Are you dreading meeting with parishioners because you don't have emotional energy? Are you dreading meeting with your music director because you feel as if you haven't had the time to work on that relationship with this person or whatever it may be. And then those places where you're feeling stress, where you're feeling the pain points is where you can start that work. So part of the work that you've already mentioned is delegation. So let's say that you have an area where you think I got to give this to someone else. So I have the space and I have the time and I have the room to attend to this person or attend to my email box or attend to, making a strategic plan for Mm. my weeks, who do you delegate tasks to? And added to that is, is this problem that I hear sometimes pastors mention, they'll say, you know, I'd love to give this to someone, but as you said before, I don't know of anybody else who's going to do this, like I'm going to do it. Or it's so hard to trust a volunteer with XYZ. Or if I don't do it, it's not going to get done. I can't depend that it's going to get done and I can't let this slip. What would you say to that?
1: I would say take it one step at a time, take it easy. And Rome wasn't built in a day. But I would say you can begin to think about in terms of delegation, this is where my other kind of keystone of simplification is important so what i found works for me because i used to always feel like gosh i need to delegate more and i would think i need to delegate that and delegate this but i i wouldn't ever do it because I, i would think that in the moment of me i'm now writing the congregational letter again and i somebody else could i could have asked the senior warden to do it but now it's too late it has to go out so i have to do it so i think one of the things i realized is that i needed to build in moments standing meetings where i could communicate to other leaders in the parish things that needed to get done. So Mm. I created a, a list of like all the things that need to get done. It's my, it's my kind of never ending list. I'm always checking things off and I'm always adding things to it. I don't have a weekly list because that means that's another thing I have to update every week. I just have one list. It's probably got 500 things on it. Most of which are crossed off, but I keep adding things to the top. And so that's my list of things that I need to be focused on right now or in the next week or four weeks. And I have a standing meeting every week with my senior warden. I have a standing meeting every week with the parish administrator. And I look at that list and I go through it with that person. And I think, what can I give to them? The other thing is to start, and for churches where you don't have a big staff, and St. Albans has a moderately large staff at this point, we have, you know, something like nine full-time employees. But when I got here, there was one priest, me, one full-time employee, a parish administrator, and one half-time finance person and a half-time sexton, and that was it. Hmm. And so these systems worked that I'm talking about. I developed in that context, and I continue to just sort of scale them where I am now. But you know, I realized in my first year when I was the stewardship committee, and I ran the whole campaign myself. I wrote the letter, I designed the pledge card, I did the spreadsheet and mailed it out, and recruited the speakers. And it was a it wasn't a so much work. It was fine, but it's That's a ton so of work. work. Mm-hmm. So I said, "Gosh, I need to have a committee, a stewardship." team to do this. So after that was over in my weekly meeting with this warden, I said, who do you think you could ask? And could you start asking? And so that person recruited the stewardship committee. And we started meeting relatively early because some people think that you can have a committee together and plan for three months to get something done, but you probably need six months to a year to do that. And it just feels less burdensome in that way. So so simplifying by having these weekly connections or biweekly or whatever with either the volunteer or the staff person, where you can then start handing off things. This is what I mean by simplification. I don't have to think I need to schedule a meeting for Tuesday with the senior warden in order to give him or her this task. It's gonna happen every Tuesday. I've got my ongoing list and I can just delegate those things as needed. So that's, that's how I do it and that has been effective.
0: Something that also occurred to me while you were speaking is that if I were someone who was listening and I was beleaguered, let's say I'm in sort of a beleaguered place and I'm I'm thinking I'd love to improve it, but somehow improving these skills sounds like another thing for the task yeah. list. Or let's say I'm I'm a kind of person who for whom productivity is not really something that gets me up in the morning. You know, mm. I I'm someone who likes to slow down, who likes sort of the 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 slow pastoring. I love, you know, the when someone says the cure of souls. I mean, or visiting people in the hospital who are dying. I'm not saying you don't enjoy those things, Aaron. I'm not saying you'd rather, you know, like be, you know, organizing your desk at all. But I just think of of some folks for whom they are thinking, gosh, I I don't know if I can take the time out to really put these things in place. But I'm just hearing that if you don't, then you're going to become by default a Jack or Jill of all trades. And that that is just going to be like Bilbo says, the butter spread over too much bread,
1: too much bread.
0: And you're not going to be able to focus on your particular way of being called to be a priest. You're not going to be able right. to focus in those places that are really giving you life that, that God's calling you to dig into with as much time as you can spare in a particular yeah. week.
1: Yeah, and the fact is, at least in the Episcopal Church, this is my context, I can only speak to it, you do have to have annual elections for the vestry. You do Hmm. have to have an annual parish meeting. You do have to file an annual parochial report with the Episcopal Church. You do have to have some sort of financial accountability with your diocese. There has to be an audit of some kind that's, that's submitted to them. There are just things that you have to do, and it is really exhausting and inefficient to have, to plan your annual meeting the day before it happens, sort of like start mm. scrambling and calling people to the church directory. Can you serve on investor? Can you serve on That's not the best way to, to see who God is calling to that vocation. I'm not a STEM graduate. I am not someone who's an engineer deep down in my heart. I don't love administration. It's not what gets me up in the morning. But I have seen that if I don't do it, even at a C or B level, like I'm not, I don't think I'm an A plus administrator necessarily, but if I don't do it, it means I don't have the wherewithal to do the cure of souls kind of work that I love so much. If I'm meeting with somebody who's going through a crisis, but internally, I'm panicking because I've missed some major deadline for some and something or I don't have enough people to serve on the vestry or the endowment fund is tanking because I forgot to do something like there's there's just real consequences of that. And I think one of the problems with our discernment and vocational models is that often we seek people who think that being a priest is is a little, you know, you've already quoted Bilbo Baggins, but sort of they think of a hobbit in the shire and that's their mentality, what ministry is supposed to look like, just walking around on, on our bare feet and eating mushrooms all the time, smoking pipes. Sm- you eat the mushrooms, smoke, the, smoke pipe. the pipes. And it is only... What Tolkien calls pipeweed, or we would call tobacco, in that pipe. Just to record. be clear, you know there were carpenters and bankers and accountants in the shire. I bet you just didn't see them in the movie or read about them in the book, but somebody had to be <laughs> doing that work. I think it's the the job of a parish priest is impossible because it is, and I say I mean kind of in particular, a rector or a vicar of a congregation. If you're the senior leader, you have at least three full time jobs. One of them is fundraising. One of them is pastoral care, and one of them is preaching and teaching and sort of liturgical. Oversight. So that's a lot. And you're probably going to be better at one than the other two and all that. But if you are weak in the administrative stuff or you're not working to improve somewhat in that area, then you'll probably struggle in the others. You know, they are all connected. It's like a, yeah, it's an interlocking web. In terms of
0: approaching this for people who are ready to start taking those steps, you know, eating this elephant one bite at a time. What are some resources that you would recommend to them for doing this?
1: I'll give you the three Zimmerman tips and tricks, my little hacks for ministry that are little time savers. But then I'll direct you to some resources. Yes. So one thing I would do is uh, have some sort of way to control your calendaring and your scheduling, whether that's using an app like Calendly, which you know you can put a, something at the bottom of email that says, "Do you want to set up an appointment?" click this link and then there's a sort of an office hours. They can schedule their own meetings with you. If you do have a parish administrator or you can, you can get a personal assistant who does not live where you live, but you give them access to your email and your calendar and they can help you with all of this stuff. I have an email signature. If Amber writes me and wants to meet, I hit reply and I go to my email signature, which is request to meet. And it will automatically say, dear Amber, or not, You won't say dear Amber. It'll just say, thank you for your request. I look forward to meeting with you. I've copied my assistant who will schedule an appointment. And then I just make sure to copy my assistant in that. And then that'll happen. Because if you don't do that, I'm writing the same email every time somebody wants to meet with me. Dear so-and-so, thank you for contacting me. So Mm. that's that's one of my little tricks. The other thing is I do have one day a week that I have no meetings. Now, occasionally I have to change that. Monday is my day off. Friday is my no meeting day. I'm in the office. I'm at work but I have no meeting scheduled that day intentionally, which that ends up meaning that a lot of requests to meet get pushed out three, four, five weeks, but often they're not urgent crises. If it is an urgent crisis, I can clear the decks and I'll do whatever it takes to meet you. But if you just have questions about the nature of the Trinity, like. You'll have those questions two months from now and we can meet then. So Friday, I have no meetings and that is a lifesaver for me because that means that's the day that I can deal with the stuff that's piled up on my desk over the week because I have been doing the work of the cure of souls. It's the day that I can catch up on my sermon if I've not been able to attack it that week. So having the no meeting day has been a lifesaver and putting that in my schedule and communicating that to the staff and the congregation has been really important. And then the third thing is the thing I've already said, which is having the standing meetings with certain key people so you don't have to waste the mental energy of like having to set that up every week and you know you can do the download of the data. With those people. In terms of resources, I have found very helpful that I've mentioned already the Getting Things Done book, which I don't have time to read stuff too much. It's by David Allen. So putting it on my audiobooks and I can go back and re listen to it has been really, really helpful. And by the way, one of the things that he suggests to do is to clear your schedule for three days to implement the system. And I never knew that I was allowed to do that. And that was hugely empowering. I didn't have any time to do that for like, it was a four month out sort of thing. Mm. But I bet most people, most clergy, if they look four months out in their calendar, there's probably three days back to back that you could block out. Just like you do when you're going on a retreat or going on a vacation, you block out. So if you feel overwhelmed now, block something out four months from now, which will be your time of like, implementing whatever your organizational system is and he says to get a little labeler and i have one right here i'll show you you can see it. it's my little labeler and i can print out labels and i label files and it just makes me feel again empowered to deal with the flow of information there's a thing called pro church tools which is run by a canadian evangelical who's speaking mostly to a mega church audience he has a weekly podcast. It's about 10 minutes. You can also, he does, he releases it as a podcast and as a YouTube video. You can set it at 1.5 speed and blaze through it in, you know, seven minutes. And there's a lot of really helpful tools that he has shared about live streaming or about online giving or about using social media. Those things have been really helpful. So I'll stop there. Those are, those are some of my resources.
0: That was really helpful. If I had a Patreon, that would definitely that last four minutes would have gone in the Patreon because that was really, that was really great stuff. And if I have someone write in Aaron actually, and, and ask me additional and more specific questions, would you be willing to come back on to the podcast at some point for a part two to, to field some of those questions? Okay. So just so y'all know, if you're listening and you're thinking, yeah, but what about this? But, oh my gosh, if this situation happened to Aaron, how would he handle it? I don't know. So if you have any of these questions and you want to go a little deeper into more specific situations, just write to me, send me an email. I can pull together some questions. And and if we get enough, we could, we could do a part two with Father Aaron. That would be fantastic.
1: I love talking about this stuff because it is so key. Many, as I said, clergy feel like they're drowning and helping mm. people as people have helped me is something that I care a lot about. So I'm happy to keep talking.
0: Well, I am wondering about moving into the holidays, which are just, gosh, a few weeks away, which is, can be a very busy and high pressure season for personally, for people and for families and for parishes. You've got a capital campaign going on. Often churches do have capital campaigns happening. We're in post COVID, but what about times where maybe it's not the holidays, but a season of having budget problems or as the rector, you're having family issues or marriage issues, or there's an illness going on in your parish or in your family. What are some small ways, Erin, that pastors can prepare for tough or busy times when things aren't as tough? So in times that are more calm and they're girding their loins administratively, how can they be doing this in a more intensive way planning for the future?
1: Yeah, so this is where one of the things I said before is so helpful to me, simplify as much as possible. So when, when Christmas is coming, when Christ the King is coming, when Epiphany is coming, it is okay if you sing the same hymns every year and basically take last year's bulletin <laughs> and just put a new date on it. The readings are the same. The prayer book is the same. Use that to your advantage. There's the reason you don't have a worship committee that has to redesign a liturgy from scratch every week, which is exhausting. So keep it simple as much as you can. The service will be different because the people are different and you're at a different place in your life. And the preacher will say something new or see some new insight in the text. So there will be enough novelty in there. Don't feel like you have to Add a new thing where at Advent, the five children come forward and light the candles that you've decided to change the color of the candles this year, whatever. You know, if you have the time and the bandwidth to do it, by all means, but don't feel like you have to do it. The other thing I would say is, and this is true at all times in ministry, have things in your life that pull you out of the mental headspace of ministry. Mm -hmm. You will serve better in your congregation if you're not obsessing all the time about your congregation or whatever problems you're facing, whether it's the upcoming busy holiday season or whether it's the budget crunch. What I've found most helpful is to call friends from college or call people that I knew at another time in my life, either, you know, friends from seminary or huge people that knew you before ministry and don't really know that much about your ministry right now, but just know you as a person mm-hmm. Having a 15 minute conversation with my college roommate can be some of the most life-giving Soul restoring time in the week mm. because it reminds me that I am not this church. I am not my job.
0: You're also not your level of administrative success.
1: Right. Exactly. And you can talk about simple things or deep things, but those things have been really, really helpful. And I think, you know, just pay attention to what your body is telling you. If you're tired when you wake up in the morning, if that tightness in your chest or your gut or whatever is there all the time and it doesn't go away the way it used to that's the canary in the coal mine listen to that and what it's telling you for me it means i probably need to watch something really funny i need to just laugh again all these things these problems we experience them so much physically and so laughter or calling a friend these are physical experiences that can be really really helpful so those are things i would say moving into this season keep it simple have things that remind you of the wider world and the wider person that you are and those two things, I think, will, will go a long way to helping you navigate these seasons and maintain some joy. And, you know, all like you may have noticed, I haven't said the prayer. I haven't said the rosary. I haven't said scripture reading. Like, I understand, like, and that's because those things are always there as a baseline. But I will, I do want to say a word of grace, like to to pastors who feel like they are not, again, their, their sermons aren't good enough. Their administration kind of skills are the worst and they're not spending two hours a day in prayer. Like, so I like, just hear me say, the Lord has worked through imperfect people who are not getting it done from the beginning. The, the, <laughs> That's so it's right. such a mercy right. that the disciples are all clueless. And these are the people that Jesus picked for his team. And so if you feel like you're not doing it right, well, you're probably not, but Jesus can still use you and loves you. He loves you so much. And
0: also it does make such a difference to start from a place of grace in working on the things that need to be improved. I remember not long ago, I was working on a sermon and I was feeling just, you described the rock and the gut, or I was just feeling uptight about something, you know, more or less unrelated to the sermon, but knowing that I had a sermon to write was tied up in it. And I I knew it was my day off and I didn't want to write this sermon on my day off. That's sort of a principle I have. It's a day of Sabbath. So I never work on this day, but this one day I did. And the reason is that I knew that if I didn't make an exception, if I didn't have grace on myself, then it would be worse the next day. So I took a nap. I read a little bit of a book I enjoyed. I made myself a pot of tea and waited until that rock was out of my gut. And then I sat down at my computer and I was really glad I did. And so even though I was working on what was technically my Sabbath for a couple of hours, actually it helped me to have a Sabbath and have a, a sense of rest and receive grace
1: in that task. Giving yourself permission to do the things that you need to do, I think is really important for clergy to, to feel that. And lay people such as yourself.
0: Yes. Yeah, so I was going to say, here's my expert lay opinion on writing sermons. But I do yeah. say, you know, hey, look, if you're like, I've found so many times, if I read the scripture text, and then take a nap afterward, something has processed that hadn't processed if I just go straight from the Bible to the, the page or the laptop. So
1: yeah, I find that writing a sermon to me feels like I'm sitting at the bottom of a funnel, and hopefully, Scripture and the influence of the Holy Spirit is coming into the top of the funnel. But sometimes I find that if I don't also get an episode of Seinfeld or read the, you know, murder mystery about the Venetian detective, whatever those things, it those those are the 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 eleven herbs and spices, the Colonel's secret recipe. Like that's the stuff that makes it sort of cook. And right. if I'm not having that time of watching the new you know, comedy special on Netflix, the, the, it, it just comes out like a bologna sandwich. So you need to have that time, that space away, the stuff that seems like it doesn't relate, but somehow it ultimately will. So whether that's music, whether that's a book, whether that's going for a run, whether it's talking to a friend, that stuff is so important in the life of ministry.
0: Yeah, it's that kneading motion that puts air in the dough. Absolutely. Yeah. Kneading. Kneading, but kneading motion. That's right. That's, that's how right. that's pronounced. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Well, I've been speaking today with the Reverend Aaron Zimmerman. Aaron, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining us today. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast, a ministry of the Living Church Institute. In two weeks, look out for a conversation that I've been looking forward to for a long time, a chat with comedian, Catholic convert, and podcast host Jen Fulweiler in time for All Saints Day about some of her favorite saints and what comedy and holiness might have in common. Until then, I'm your host, Amber Noel, and it's been good to be with you. Peace.